0: Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app, as well as all popular podcast platforms. Alongside Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are going to recap Dave Gettleman and Chris Pettit's conference call that ended a few minutes ago, we'll also hear from Rick Serratella, NFL Draft Bible, a little bit later on in the program, get his take on a number of these draft prospects. And then later on, we're going to have our second edition of our three-way mock draft as we welcome in John Schmelk. And a reminder, we want you to continue to submit your questions as we look to answer them Over the course of the remaining weeks and months, depending on how long we continue to do this program remotely, by submitting them into Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. That's Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. All right, Paul, we are inching closer to the NFL draft. We are now officially less than a week away. And today's conference call featuring General Manager Dave Gettleman and the Director of College Scouting Chris Pettit focused on the college side of things. Monday, Dave Gentleman had a conference call with assistant GM Kevin Abrams. That was on free agency. Today, the conversation was strictly on the draft. And let's talk about some of the main takeaways. I want to start with a lot of questions about Dave Gentleman's openness to trading down from the number four overall pick. And I want to utilize a phrase that he threw out, quote, seriously entertain, end quote, referring to whether or not he would consider a trade down from number four. And also, I think, emphasize what he said back at the combine, which is when he said, hey, we're open for business. I don't think that philosophy has drastically changed thus far.
1: No, I don't think it has either, Lance. But what I will say is that uh, he made it very clear that you have to lay the foundation for trade talks prior to the draft because of the logistics. We now know it has to be a virtual draft. In fact, I just get off the phone with the NFL, and they're talking about how they're going to be having NFL reps conference calling each one of the teams and there's going to be backups upon backups they're even worried about or should i say planning for possible power failures in case some kind of bad weather should wind up invading uh, uh, some certain area of the country so that they want to make sure that they still have communication with somebody with that team that's located in a different area so that they're going to be able to still have communication. It, it's it's quite a spider web that the league is is going to utilize. And by the way, Monday the NFL is going to go through a communication drill They're calling it a mock draft, at least that's what Dave Gettleman said, but the truth is the league is going through a communication drill. They're not actually going to draft players. They're simply going to go through the actual physical logistics of how the draft is going to work and try to put every team on the clock and make sure all the communication lines are working smoothly. This is quite a process. Now, having said that, because it's so sticky and so cumbersome, Gettleman said pretty much that you kind of have to have all your ducks lined up if you're going to make a deal beforehand, because at that point in time, once the draft is live and active, there's going to be too much happening for you to be able to quickly react and lock up some kind of trade.
0: And to your point, if God forbid something on the technological side goes wrong and you had preliminary discussions for a trade, at least maybe you could pick up those discussions through other means. That's more of a reason why building the blocks – prior to the draft I think is extremely important and you're right Gettleman did emphasize that that you're gonna have to have a lot of discussions beforehand as opposed to what you would normally do maybe in between picks because of all of the logistics that are going on so speaking of the logistics before we get into some of the specifics that Dave Gettleman said with respect to players in the roster. The other thing that has drastically changed, Paul, of course, for all teams, not just the Giants, is with pro days being canceled and not having prospects be able to come into your physical building because team facilities are closed, you know, they've had to go about following up on players differently. And Chris Pettit, he, I think, shed some interesting light on this. The head of college scouting, he mentioned that what he told his team of scouts is go back revisit, rewatch games that maybe you didn't look at as closely during the regular season to make sure you feel very strongly about a prospect. Also, as opposed to being at the school on campus, pick up the phone, talk to the players, talk to the coaches, talk to the academic advisors. Maybe you're going to get a different side of things that maybe you didn't get when you were on campus earlier during the course of the regular season. So, you know, not that they wouldn't do this under normal circumstances, but I guess what my biggest takeaway was, Chris Pettit said they're delegating their time and they're using it responsibly to make sure that they are very much on top of these prospects.
1: Well, they had to make adjustments, Lance, because these kids couldn't come in. I mean, he said, and this is not new, the biggest part of the players' evaluation for the Giants is going to be their game tape. Yeah. That's always going to be the case. But he did add... That he thought that the scouting staff did such a good job during the fall at those games, as well as at the All-Star Games and at the Combine, that he felt they were already in a good position anyway. It wasn't like they were caught with their pants down. He felt as though that they were very thorough from the get-go, and he just wanted his staff to go back over the tapes, dig in even further, as you said, make some extra phone calls, do triple checks if you have to. And why not you know, cross all your T's and dot all your I's? You have this extra time. He said the past month has been basically spent doing those things. Uh, it would have been spent hosting these kids had they been able to come here for their visits or, for that matter, the Giants people going out to those respective pro days.
0: The other thing related to the process, and this was also something that Joe Judge had emphasized during his conference call on Wednesday. Gettleman was asked the same thing today about the fact that there are a number of assistants on staff, Paul, that made the jump straight from college to the NFL this year. It doesn't mean that they haven't been in the NFL previously, but meaning in 2019, they were somewhere at the college ranks. And I actually went through the list. You have running backs coach Burden and Burns, He was at Bama from 2007 to 19. Senior offensive assistant Derek Dooley, he was at Missouri the last two years. Defensive line coach Sean Spencer was at Penn State from 2014 to 19. And then inside linebackers coach Kevin Scherer at Tennessee for the last two years. Those four guys in particular. The reason why Judge and Gettleman were asked about those connections is they've had access to College prospects, we're talking about in the Big Ten and the SEC. They've recruited them, they've coached them, they've strategized in stopping them or going up against them. That's an additional resource. Now, nobody's saying that that gives the Giants an immense advantage over everybody else. But maybe this year, unlike other years, Paul, you want to hear what they have to say because you don't have those face-to-face meetings, and you could get into the mindset of some of these prospects through a different lens because these coaches had access that maybe NFL coaches and executives did not.
1: Well, you're also forgetting uh, Bielema. Because Burt Bielema, who's now the outside linebackers coach, even though he had been a couple of years removed from college because yeah. he was with the Patriots for two, just prior to that, he spent a great deal of time as the head coach at Arkansas and at Wisconsin. And going back years earlier, he was he was at Iowa. I think he was there when Kurt French was there. So... You know, he has a tremendous amount of power, college, football, college background, um, or should I say, yeah, just background in his resume. And I guarantee you that he had a bunch of tentacles reaching out for these players' uh, information packets as well. So, uh, yeah, I – look, the second that Joe Judge started compiling this staff, I immediately started to say to myself – Look at all of the NCAA connections he's got. They are gonna use those pipelines and they are gonna have detailed information on as many prospects as you could possibly imagine. I've never doubted that for a second. To me, this was just about, you know, three months too late, this this piece of news.
0: Well, it's been emphasized now because this is really the first time that Gettleman and Judge have been asked questions pertaining to that. But you're right. We've brought this up on prior shows. And the reason why, Paul, that I did not put Bielema on that list is, to your point, two years removed because he was with New England. And not to say that he doesn't have NCAA connections. He's got plenty. But the turnover rate, as you know in college, goes so quickly that it's unlikely that he coached against A number of these 2020 prospects could have certainly recruited some of them back in the day, but highly unlikely that he actually strategized and went up against them because he has been two years removed from the college game thus far.
1: Well, didn't have to. I mean, his last uh, head coaching job was at Arkansas and he was there in 2017. Now, at the very least, even if he didn't coach against any of the players who are in this draft class, and he certainly might have, there's no question that he still has connections in that school and within that conference that are going to share stuff with him. 100%.
0: And that's why he is an extremely valuable resource. Huge resource. And Judge, too, because remember, Judge was at Alabama and knows plenty of people still at that program, including Nick Saban.
1: You saw the Saban-Belichick HBO special, right? Come on. I was the one that recommended it to you. That's right. And what did Saban and Belichick talk about? How Saban was amazed – at how many NFL staffs and coaches and scouts don't ask him questions about guys he has on his team, and for that matter, probably guys also in the SEC. And Belichick's like, yeah, I can't believe that. And he, and, and they're talking amongst each other, like, how ridiculous is this? And then they show you a clip of Belichick going to Alabama's pro day, and he's asking Saban, so which guy you got here, who's worth something?
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's when he told him that Jonah Williams he thought was the best prospect exactly. that was referring to last
1: year's class, and he went to the Bengals. So, yeah. so let's face it, it is, it is with total naivete that somebody could look at Joe Judge and not think he has picked up the phone and called Nick Saban. The other takeaway in terms of the
0: logistics and the setup is both Gettleman and Pettit feel confident that there won't be any technical glitches. They spoke very highly of the IT team. They said that they've done a great job getting all the coaches, all the front office members all set up, and that Pettit and Gettleman mentioned... The meetings are really going to be conducted just like they were had they all been at the team facility. The only thing is now they have to do it remotely through some type of technological advancement. But they're not going to change, I guess, how they meet when they break into smaller groups leading up to the draft. That's not really going to change. But we may have buried the lead, and let's get to the meat and potatoes, which I know you're very excited to talk about, Paul. For the call, and that was when Dave Gettleman was asked specifically about positions. And we've talked about number four overall the debate between Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker out of Clemson, versus an offensive lineman, and there's certainly depth. Gettleman mentioned that he believes there's depth on the offensive line. He has said that also back on Monday's conference call when he was talking about some of the moves they made in free agency pertaining to the offensive line. And he also, though, emphasized that whether a guy played on the right or the left side, Paul, that's not really a big deal for them because they still need to look at upside and whether or not that guy is going to pan out at the NFL level regardless of what side of the ball he protected at the collegiate
1: level. Well, to take a couple of uh, items from one of his quotes particularly, he said, we're continuing to build the offensive line. We're just going to keep working at it. And he talked about Joe Judge, and he said that they are of the same mentality, that the offensive line sets the tone of the team. And then to paraphrase, Gettleman went on to say, you know, the Super Bowl teams, which he has been a part of many of them in his past, all built their initial foundations from a strong offensive line. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of affection uh, thrown out to the offensive line by Gettleman during this phone call. And, you know, it's it's certainly something that the writers were pecking at. They did peck a little bit at the possibility of Isaiah Simmons. But I think when you listen to Gettleman's um, realization that the Giants' offensive line certainly needs enhancements, you could understand why at this point – Uh, logic seems to indicate that, that he was hinting offensive line with that first pick. And by the way, he also said he has not made a decision on it yet. Correct. The team had not made a decision. There would be a consensus, but they have not come to one yet. And he is open for business, as you said, to take phone calls and potentially move down. This is what he also said on building the offensive line. Quote,
0: it's about getting the right guys. It's about not panicking, end quote. He was also asked a follow-up question on that front because Dave Gettleman publicly has talked about how he values the trenches, something that you just referred to, Paul. That's no secret. So he was asked, is there pressure now with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, a number of other offensive weapons to really get that offensive line in order? And he didn't shy away from it. He wouldn't necessarily classify it as pressure, But he did say that that's an element of the team that they want to get right moving forward, and I'm paraphrasing that side of things in terms of now taking the next step with respect to this offense. So, you know, he still understands that this is an area of the team that they want to continue to address. He was also asked, related to that, Paul, does he envision Nate Soldier being the left tackle? And he emphasized and echoed what Joe Judge has said on his previous interactions with the media. Nobody who is an incumbent is coming in and handed a starting job. They're going to foster competition. So just because you played that position last season does not mean you're a lot to
1: play that position coming into 2020. Sure, and that's the way it should be. I mean, they've made it very clear for months now that, that that's the way the Giants are going to operate with this new coaching staff. You don't want to saddle the new coaching staff of course. with a player who they may decide during the course of their operations doesn't deserve to be in that spot. I mean, how you know, that would be unfair. So so sold Solder knows that Joe Judge is a guy who he remembers with the Patriots, and he's gonna have to come in and prove that he deserves the snaps that he wants to get. I mean, that's I think that goes for, for practically anybody in the lineup. I do think though that I would like to have heard the media go after the defensive side of the ball a little more because more of the questions were about the offensive line and Gettleman seemed very frank and forthright and honest in his answers. Well, if someone had asked him, Dave, do you have any impact players on defense and do you think you would look to add one in the draft? I'm very curious as to what his answer might have been because that answer may have hinted that, indeed, he would seriously want to get a guy like Isaiah Simmons on his team. But because that question was not asked, all the questions that that were asked about personnel leaned toward the offensive line, and his honest answers indicated that the Giants are looking for an upgrade. But that's something I think anybody could probably see from afar. Of
0: course, which is why I don't think that that was necessarily startling news. But you brought up an interesting point, Paul, and this was one of my takeaways. You're right. A number of the questions were geared towards the direction of the offensive line. So I guess my message to our listeners is not to say you shouldn't read into anything. Listen, this is the time for speculation and this is the excitement of the buildup to the draft. But given from a contextual standpoint, the majority of the questions were geared towards the offensive line. He answered what the questions were in the direction of. If he was asked about, to your point, more on the defensive side of the ball, maybe we would have gained more insight in terms of his thinking from the defensive side of things. However, related to that, when he was asked about Isaiah Simmons' versatility and whether or not it's difficult to scout a player who was moved around so much because he had snaps at five different positions last season, this is what he said. He said, quote, there's a lot of versatility going on these days. But then it's up to them, referring to the Giants, to figure out how that player fits the New York football Giants, end quote. And that's what you and I have talked about on previous shows. If you draft a guy like Isaiah Simmons, Paul, you have to have a plan in place, whether it be Patrick Graham, your defensive coordinator, and the front office to say, this is where we're going to line him up. This is what we're going to ask him to do. Not, we're going to bring him in, we're going to flip a coin, we're going to roll the dice, and then we'll determine where
1: he's best fit. Right. And that's something that we have talked about for a while. And look, I still believe that as a money backer and a strong blitz component that Isaiah Simmons is going to have a major impact in the National Football League and be a much bigger star than he was at Clemson. I firmly believe that. I think he's going to be the best player, certainly on my board at number four. That doesn't mean the Giants have him there on their board. On my board, he is. And therefore, based on that philosophy, and I think you have to have conviction and take the best player, especially when you're that high, I would take Simmons. And I'm not afraid to tell you that. I'm going to take him, in all mock draft a little bit later on during this program. But that does not mean in any way, shape, or form that's what the Giants will do, nor does it mean that's what I think that they will do. As Paul
0: just teased, we will be having our three-way mock draft with John Schmell coming up later on in the program. But right now, we are going to stay on the topic of the 2020 NFL Draft, and we turn to a very special guest. Rick Serratella of NFL Draft Bible. Rick, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. I hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end?
2: Everything is good here, fellas. Uh, appreciate the time and, uh, you know, a week away from the draft. So hopefully we can just at least have a little bit of a distraction, even if it's for a couple of days
0: here. Absolutely. That sounds like a plan. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the draft, Rick, where can our audience go if they want to check out or access your latest NFL Draft Bible?
2: Uh, NFLDraftBible.com is, is where you can download that. We still have the P- PDF available, books are sold out, and then, you know, we will be doing a uh, live stream show every day starting Monday, April 20th, leading up to the draft, during the draft, and then Sunday after the draft with the recap, so I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. Very nice. All right. Well, let's start with the Giants and where they pick. And that's the number fourth overall pick. And it seems Rick, the big debate right now is between Isaiah Simmons versus an offensive lineman position. Value comes into play, the depth at the tackle spot. Where do you stand in the conversation of one of those top four tackles per se versus Isaiah Simmons?
2: it's a tough position to be in. I struggle with it. You know, I'm a big fan of Simmons. He's number three on my board. So uh, I would probably go Simmons myself personally just because I think he's a blue-chip talent. And I understand the, the allure of the offensive tackle position. It's been like a turnstile in the last couple of years with the turnover and, and the players that have come through here. So I get it. I completely understand it. And, you know, listen, David Gettleman likes to build from the inside out. We saw it. Uh, when he was with Carolina, I think he took a defensive lineman in, in the first round four years in a row. Uh, we've seen his lust for the Hog Mollies. And, you know, whether it's worse, whether it's Beckton, whether it's Andrew Thomas, I'm hearing different uh, tackles every day, it seems like. But, uh, you know, I can understand the offensive tackle, but there is some depth. There is some depth to this class at offensive tackle. And, um, you know, I think the big four will be off the board within the first 12 picks, but you could still get an offensive tackle. Now, granted, not as high a quality uh, uh, as you would at number four, but you can still get a pretty good one there at 36. I don't think you can get a, a pretty good linebacker like Isaiah Simmons.
1: Let me ask you this, Rick, because, you know, we've been talking about this since we had you on at the Combine in Indianapolis And I think the question of these four offensive tackles, because none of them, in my mind, I'm looking far, far and wide, and I can't find anybody who says that they would rate as best player available ahead of Isaiah Simmons. Everybody tells me if it's BPA, Simmons beats all four of these guys. But when you look at the four offensive tackles, is the big question that has to be answered production versus potential and upside? Because everybody has a different opinion about
2: them. I think the big thing, especially this year, due to the different dynamics of it, is, hey, obviously, listen, is is Joe Burrow the best player? I I would say no. I would say Chase Young is, but the Bengals need a quarterback. Okay, the Giants need an offensive tackle. That's the bottom line. So I think the debate here, especially this year, is do I want to grab an instant plug-and-play, immediate starter, likely a left tackle at number four, or do I want to get maybe a right tackle at pick 36, but also understand that offensive linemen this year, outside of those big four, you know, top four offensive tackles, offensive linemen are going to have a tough time contributing immediately as a rookie without any off-season programs, no rookie camps, no mini camps, no OTAs. You can only learn so much virtuoso style, and I think the big debate here is like, hey, can we plug our our left tackle uh, blindside protector that's been an issue? Move Soldier over to right tackle and really fortify this this offensive line that's been such a a, a a struggle to kind of patch up over the last several years. Did we finally put that baby to bed, or do we continue to kind of just patch it together? Get the blue-chip guy on defense. To me, if I'm a defensive coordinator, what I can do with Simmons and Jabril Peppers on the field at the same time, move these guys around like chess pieces, I mean, I think offensive coordinators will stay up late at night trying to game plan against it. I can't say that the defensive coordinators are going to be having nightmares about who the Giants' offensive tackle is. But mm-hmm. I think that you know the, the big problem here is how much of an impact can this offensive lineman have immediately? And if they're not looking to win right away, then maybe getting the developmental tackle in the second round isn't such a bad idea.
0: Well, speaking of the developmental tackle in the second round, if the Giants do go Isaiah Simmons number four, Rick, who do you see as somebody with upside that the Giants could target at number 36 that could very well either plug in immediately or could at least be somebody with high upside moving forward?
2: You know, the big guy getting a lot of buzz now is Boise State offensive tackle, uh, you know, Ezra. um, He's the big – Ezra Cleveland, he's the big riser right now. And I think him and Isaiah Wilson, the other offensive tackle at Georgia, are the two dark horse candidates for round one. They might even come off the board now before Josh Jones from Houston or even Austin Jackson from USC. You know, I think Austin Jackson out of the bunch probably has a a, a potential – be a left tackle. He has all the tools. He's still raw. He's still developing. I think Josh Jones, based on what I saw up close down and, and, and at the senior bowl, I thought I'd feel more comfortable putting him on the right side. I think Ezra Cleveland, though, is the dark horse guy where he's a little bit more polished and can contribute right away. So I, I would hope that Ezra Cleveland falls to me at 36. But I think, you know, after those top four guys, that's kind of the tier two group. Isaiah Wilson, Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones, and Austin Jackson. I, I firmly believe one of those guys is going to be available there for you to take. And I would feel pretty comfortable if I had Simmons at four and have one of those guys slide to me at 36. I mean, I'd, I'd walk away from this draft feeling like a winner.
1: Well, that's how I feel as well, Rick. But I do need to ask you, if it goes the other way, and I know in your draft Bible, NFL draft Bible, you had Becton wind up going to the Giants there, and I understand that because that's a projection as to what you think they'll take, not necessarily who you would take. And so I I totally understand that. But let's say they do go offensive tackle at four, and you've already expressed that the edge rushers get real thin by the end of the first round. Who would they possibly be able to get at 36 if they wanted to go for some type of pass rusher, even if they had to go for a projection?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that the Big Ten guys between A.J. at of Iowa, Gator gross Matos at Penn State, these guys could potentially be there at 36. And, you know, um, I'll go even deeper. Later on in the draft, Julian Aguara, uh, you know, his brother played for the Giants at mm-hmm. one point, but yep. Notre Dame, At one time, he was considered a first-round pick. Now, he's got an injury that kind of saw his draft stock slide. But, again, with the start of the season in question, I feel a little bit better about drafting a guy with an injury because he'll probably have uh, time to recover and heal and contribute. So, you know, I think those are some possibilities. It's not a great year for the edge rusher, Zach Bond is a guy from Wisconsin. I, I, I think that he'll go in the first round, but it's it's possible. Him and Uche, Josh Uche from Michigan, where, you know, teams are, are pretty divided. I kind of like Vaughn uh, playing as an edge rusher. I think he's a, a little bit uh, more built for that at the next level, where I think Uche is more of an off-ball linebacker, and, you know, teams are kind of split around the league on, on each of those guys. You know, Terrell Lewis, is probably in the conversation from Alabama, but again, it was just kind of lackluster. I didn't like what I saw down at the Senior Bowl. I didn't think he was an elite level type of edge rusher where I want to invest the number thirty six pick in him. So um, the edge rushing class is probably not the greatest this year. So I mean, that's probably who we're looking at.
0: It's interesting you brought up Zach Bond. We've talked a lot about him on this program, Rick, and the Giants did very well with Ryan Connolly last year. Unfortunately, his tore his ACL early in the season. The reason I bring up Bond, the fact that it came out this week that he tested positive for a diluted sample, and there's some speculation behind why that occurred. Do you think that perhaps helps maybe the Giants' cause, that he could fall out of the first round because of some of that speculation?
2: It could. I mean, it it could be a cover-up of a substance, or it could be a guy trying to put on water weight before weigh-ins. So, you know, I I don't think it's going to impact the draft stock too much, but I could be wrong. We don't have all the information. We don't know what all the teams know. I do think I have them right now on my latest, you know, I'm going to post my final top 100 on the website. Right now, I have Bond at number 27 overall. So, you know, to your point, could he potentially slide down to 36? Absolutely. Um, gut tells me it won't happen, but, you know, I just don't know if that was more of a cover-up thing or was it just a guy trying to add some water weight. There's so many possibilities, and I don't think he's been convicted of anything wrong. So I kind I of want to give the player the benefit of the doubt there.
1: Rick, you've been doing this for a number of years now, so you understand the climate that there is not only – Uh, where the hot spots are for the talent, but also the willingness or the eagerness of some teams to move up and down. Given the logistics of what's going to happen in this draft, because of the video conferencing that the general managers are going to be doing from their basement, do you expect there to be fewer conversations on draft night about teams trying to trade because they would be afraid that these communications are going to get bogged down and cause a lot of confusion?
2: I think it'll be more challenging, yes, because you know you have a whole assortment of people, different types, young people, old people, and uh, techno- technologically savvy people, and then guys like ourselves trying to learn to be our own technical directors and live stream experts with Zoom going on over here. So I'll say this, you know, the bullets are flying fast during the draft. During that pick, usually you're in your room, you have your head coach, you have your captologist, you have your director of personnel. And you have somebody fielding the phone for for trade offers. It's kind of hard to do that when you're virtuoso style. Um, so I think because of that, logistically, it could be difficult. Because some coaches like Bill Belichick needed a crash course one on one on all the technology they're installing. I mean, it might be a full time job just managing, making sure nothing crashes. So I, I do think there is some some you know uh, evidence to what you're saying. I will say this: talking to some teams. There are teams that might stick to this format in terms of draft preparation because they love the fact that they can just grind film from home, whether it's in the basement of their house and and no interruptions. The secretary's not knocking on the door every five minutes, somebody walking by every 15, 20 minutes, cooking their head and disrupting them. So I think in, in, in that fashion, some teams have actually been able to capitalize and get more work done and be more efficient leading up to the draft but i think in terms of the actual live draft taking and trade offers i think we'll see less of it i think it'll be a little bit more complex and you know quite frankly we've never been through this before so anything's bound to happen one thing i pray is that our internet signals stay strong <laughs> <laughs> hey lance let me follow up rick on,
1: on this one point you just mentioned that there will obviously have to be more emphasis on the tape study that was done during the season because there are no pro days, okay? Very few pro days occurred before the country was shut down. And so these individual meetings and pro days are virtually wiped out. And Mm -hmm. it's been made clear to me that the teams that are better at doing their game scouting and the ones who are better at looking at tape and film are probably going to fare better on draft night. Would you agree with that?
2: No doubt about it. I mean, teams are going to lean on their areas More than ever before, and we're going to find out who really does have the strong scouting departments. Because I think this is where the virus impacts the draft—not day one or day two, but day three. You know, because to your point, even with the undrafted free agents, you might have a priority free agent that you want to work out at the pro day that didn't have a combine invite. Now you can't go send your positional coach or and work him out and see if he's a fit for your team. The other part of that equation is. A lot of numbers are incomplete, even for the players who did go to the Combine, because the new trend in recent years is, you know, I'll, I'll use the cornerbacks, for example. Out of the 30 cornerbacks, there was only 10 who ran the 40 short shuttle and three cone. The other 20 only ran their 40-yard dash. And the thinking behind it is, hey, I'll, I'll run my shuttle and three cone at my pro day, home field advantage, home turf, faster time type of thing. This should be a lesson learned. For any player coming out in the future, do never, never bypass an opportunity to compete. And too many players who were invited to the combine, who waited for their pro day, didn't get that opportunity. And now you have all these guys who didn't get the pro day workouts. We have incomplete numbers. You'll see fewer small school guys uh, drafted because of that. Because nobody's going to stand on the table or pound the table for a small school guy without verifying any measurables.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Rick, especially the players who took part in the Senior Bowl and then took part in the Combine. Just think about how much more they put on film or on paper for NFL scouts to take into consideration compared to your point, the ones that were playing out with the waiting game. As we're talking with Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible, getting you set for the 2020 NFL Draft here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live Rick, the Giants may not be in the market for a quarterback, but it's fair to say the quarterback market will very well impact where the Giants go at number 4 and also perhaps who may fall to them at 36. I've been hearing that Jordan Love is an extremely polarizing quarterback by many out of Utah State. There are some that think he's a high first-round pick. Others think maybe he's not even a starting-caliber quarterback, and the jury's still out with two his health and Justin Herbert's leadership. Where do you stand on the quarterbacks in terms of how many you think are going to go in the first round that could very well impact where the Giants have options, at least in the second round?
2: Mm -hmm. I think there's at least four quarterbacks that go in round one, and I think we're going to find out at pick number three, actually, the Lions hold the wild card? Because if there is a market for Tua, which I I believe Tua could go as high as three or as low as twenty-three. Um, because he did not interview well at the Combine. His chalk uh, chalk talk sessions were poor. His interviews were poor. Teams were finding out about the second wrist surgery at the Combine. They had no idea about it. So, you know, now you're factoring the wrist surgeries, the ankle surgery, the hip surgery, and I think if there's any player that can, you know, do the Brady Quinn, Aaron Rodgers slip and slide, it's going to be to And we'll find out at number three if there's a market for that. To your point, Jordan Love is the guy that you're hearing some teams have him higher than Tua and Herbert. And I think his upside is huge. I think his potential is great. Um, But he's not a guy you want to inject as a starter right away. And, you know, Herbert, I think five or six seems like the likely destination there, whether it's Miami or San Diego. I mean, both those uh, teams are in the market for a quarterback. But I do think that, hey, at the end of the day, Jake Fromm, I would not be surprised if he goes in round one in the back end of the first round. So I think really? we could potentially see five quarterbacks. I do. I think there's a market for a guy who works the short to intermediate part of the field. Uh, Andy Dalton is my comparison. And, and before you say, well, hey, he's 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 on the unemployment line, Andy Dalton started in this league for about seven years and uh-huh. he's a pretty yeah. solid starter. So, I think there's a market for a Jake Fromm skill set. And then I think that what happens here is Jalen Hurts gets pushed up the board. He becomes a top 50 pick. Jacob Eason comes off the board in the second round. And suddenly, a guy like James Morgan from Florida International, who's been linked to the Patriots, by the way, um, I now have him in my top 100. Wow. Well, let me, let
1: me say this, Rick. I, I, I'm curious, what is the biggest question besides the quarterbacks? Because everybody asks everybody about the quarterback dilemma going into this draft. Aside from that, what is your biggest intriguing question that you can't wait to answer?
2: I want to see just how many wide receivers do come off the board. Because we've been talking about this class, how it's the biggest wide receiver class. And will that lead to a fast and furious result of, uh, of these receivers flying off the board? Or will it actually be a reverse trickle effect where teams actually choose to wait on a wide receiver because they know they can get a guy later on. And, you know, it's crazy talking to some of the teams, you know, there's people that uh, feel like Jerry Judy is the best wide receiver in this draft class. And then there's other people who don't even feel they're the first round pick. No joke. So, wide receiver has the biggest bust factor out of any position Mm. and it's the hardest position to evaluate if you go back and look at history and recent history especially more wide receivers bust than any position and you know for all these great players whether it's judy cd lamb henry ruggs justin jefferson the list goes on and on him's Rieger, Higgins, hamler uh uh iuke chase playpool i mean how many of these wide receivers are truly going to go on the first two days because at the end of the day i've only got 14 in my top 100 so i'm curious to see how that's going to play out and i really don't see number 12 you know you're hearing the eagles now are trying to put a package together to move up for cd land. they probably have to move up to uh, 11 with the jets because the Raiders at 12 are are probably going to take a wide receiver. So I think the Jets could be a a, a prime trade candidate where they can maybe slide back, pick up an offensive tackle later in the first round. Uh, The Eagles can move up, get their guy at CeeDee Lamb, but there's not going to be a wide receiver in the first 10 picks, in my opinion.
1: You know, Rick, the one thing about receivers, a lot of them are divas, and if you didn't get a chance to see them at the pro day and talk to them at the pro day and then didn't have a chance to interview them on your own turf – you're not going to be able to answer the question as to whether or not the guy's a diva. So that may go to what you said a minute ago about some of these guys maybe dropping down a little further.
2: Well, and then also you have the the medical aspect, a guy like LaVisca Chenault, who, you know, this year the second round of of medical recalls was canceled. There was no second medical check in Indianapolis that we normally have. And so now, you know, a guy like LaVisca Chenault who I thought at one point was one of the premier wide receivers in this draft class, I mean, he could slide down to round two just because the teams don't have their own medical. They didn't bring them into their building. They didn't have their own doctor's poke and prod. And, you know, Brandon Ayuk was a guy who flunked his physical at the senior bowl, wasn't allowed to compete, don't think he did all the drills in, in the combine. And so, you know, I see him still being uh, considered a first-round pick, but do we really truly know what the medical is? So, yeah, to your point, um, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones at Michigan, who tested through the roof, it's like, I'd like to get to know this young man a little bit better, but we don't have these, you know, private 30 visits and these, you know, uh, private workouts to really get to know these players better. So I think it becomes even more of a guessing game because there are so many receivers – guys, we talked about it out in Indianapolis, 55 guys were invited out to the combine, I mean it's got to be a record, Brian Edwards from South Carolina, another guy that was just injured, you know, Van Jefferson, we found out he had a fractured foot at the Senior Bowl Um, he didn't participate I think at the combine, like, you know how is he doing, what's the medical checkup how has he progressed the last couple months, the teams just can't have their doctors, you know, getting their hands on these players
0: Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how many wide receivers are taking because there's a lot of speculation we could see more go in the first three rounds than any other time in NFL history. Rick, before we let you go, since you really delve deep into this draft class, who's a player in your mind that may have fallen under the radar, not getting a lot of hype, not getting a lot of notoriety, that you think really has the potential to make a name for himself at the next level?
2: Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island, you know, when he declared said wait what huh rhode island he's declared early i thought i thought they had a wide receiver iron parker well no this guy this is his cousin he's even better he's even faster he's even more explosive and who would have thunk it that uh rhode island would have three combine invites uh shout out to kyle murphy another guy under the radar but i think you know isaiah coulter is a dark horse round one candidate for me um and then LaJarius sneed from louisiana tech You want measurables, you want size, you want speed, you want production, go check that guy out. I mean, uh, what he brings to the table, he's got a wingspan like an offensive lineman. Uh, So, you know, hey, I'll give you one on offense and one on defense there.
0: He is Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible. You could head to nfldraftbible.com for more information on his latest edition of NFL Draft Bible 2020. Rick, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to the draft. Look forward to following your coverage. And hope you and yours stay safe and healthy during these trying times. Thanks again for joining us.
2: Thanks, Rick. Be well. Always a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen.
0: Thanks again to Rick Saratella of NFL Draft Bible for helping us get set for the 2020 NFL Draft. And speaking of the draft, on last Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, we had a three-way mock draft, so we're going to have our second installment of a three-way mock draft this week, and that means we welcome in our very own John Schmoke. John, how are we doing today? Hello. How are you, Lance? It's good to be with you guys. Absolutely. So we're going to mix things up. This time because you had an opportunity to make the Giants pick, John, right last week. That's correct. So now this week, it's going to be Dettino making the fourth overall selection. But before we get to number four, we obviously have to make the first three picks. So Paul is actually going to kick off the festivities this week. He's on the clock. Number one, Cincinnati Bengals. Take it away, Paul.
1: Well, let's see. I'm looking at the screen and I'm in Roger Goodell's basement right now. Oh, it's a little dirty. He's got to get some uh, dust pans in there and clean out some of the stuff. And then he's going to announce that Joe Burrow, the quarterback, is the number one pick in the draft, and the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be very happy to get him.
3: Paul, something tells me with Roger Goodell and his salary, he is not doing any dusting himself. <laughs> I think that's a a safe assumption. I suppose in this land, he might be now with social distancing going on. You might not be able to get any of that stuff. But, yeah, Paul, look, that's an easy one. Yeah. And here's the thing. Now, the Redskins show up at number two, and they're thinking, oh, boy, Chase Young, that looks great. But they're going to take phone calls here. So I'm going to ring, 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 ring. I'm going to call my friend Lance Meadow, who (sighs) is the general manager for the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm going to say... You know, Lance, if you're interested in your top quarterback, this is the spot to go up and get him. You know, we're willing to move this pick. So if another team wants a quarterback, they can come here and grab the guy that you're looking for. So do you have any interest in moving some of your picks to move up to number two here with the Redskins?
0: No, because I think there's some depth and substance at the quarterback position. So I would
3: not be interested in moving up, and I'm not worried about the Dolphins taking a quarterback either. Okay, well then the Redskins are gonna take Chase Young because they don't want to move any further uh, back than that at number six. Uh, the Dolphins don't have any injuries, they're happy to wait there and see what happens as well. So the Washington Redskins take Chase Young, and I think the Lions will be more than content with
0: how the draft plays out thus far because Detroit. May make a phone call or two to see if somebody would blow them away with an offer if they want to grab a quarterback. But as we talked about in recent weeks, Matt Patricia, the head coach, Bob Quinn, the GM, have not been given job security beyond this season. So this is a year you want to really hit a home run in the first round. You want to bring in somebody specifically on the defensive side of the ball that can help anchor the back end because they just traded Darius Slate to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC East. And I think they run it up digitally to – Roger Goodell, and they take Jeff Okuda, the corner out of
1: Ohio State. Okay, now I got a problem here because I'm the Giants at number four, and I got my phone ringing. I know who wants to move up. In fact, I've been reading a lot the last
3: couple of days. And wait, apparently... wait, wait! Time out! Time out! Time out. Who's? I'm 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 not calling you, Lance. Are Are you calling Paul with any teams well, here? No, no. You
1: two guys aren't calling me, but the Jaguars are. See, they they want to offer me number nine, and no. they want to
3: offer me number twenty. Lance, Lance. Do you want to offer Paul number nine and number twenty? No, because I'm yeah, so also not necessarily interested in just the quarterback.
1: Yeah, but see, the problem is you guys are split in terms of those two picks. You, not one of you owns both picks, so I can't go that way. No, but un- gotta- well,
3: Paul, we'll make it easy. Neither one of us want to trade up to, f- okay, to four for the Jaguars.
1: Well, then I'm taking Isaiah Simmons. Done. Anyway, I was going to turn down the offer. I was only going to tell you that I was getting calls, but I'm turning it down. You wouldn't move down and get nine and twenty. Here's 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 what I'm here's what I am hearing. I, I would, hearing by that, the way, I'm hearing that the Jaguars would like to move up to pick who, and and that uh, they would like to draft Isaiah Simmons. But Paul,
3: they have so many needs. I know
1: they do. I, I don't I buy know that they at do. all. I don't, now, buy, now, I don't NFL, buy that at all. NFL either. Network yesterday had them moving up because they want to make a big splash because they need to for PR purposes. And so I looked at it and I said, Well, they could probably try to see what the Giants would do with four and think- four and ninety-nine for nine and twenty is probably the approximate deal that they would try to swing. I'm telling you, there's no way I'm taking the deal. I'm taking Isaiah Simmons. But since you wanted to introduce trade talk into this yes, conversation, that's I'm doing it for no, you.
3: Absolutely. Uh, but that's I'm, fair. I, I'm laughing at it.
1: I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't go to nine and twenty? No, I would not. Why? Because I feel that much strongly about Isaiah
3: Simmons at four, Paul. I can I can get you Patrick Queen and one of the top offensive tackles. That's okay. You're crazy. Why would not okay. you do that? Because well, that's I, already
1: been established. On this I badly want Isaiah Simmons in that spot, so uh, I'm taking it.
3: Paul, you always make you lock into one guy every year, and I tell you not to do it, but you do it anyway. It's
1: OK. I don't look. I don't I'm not so sure the Giants are going to take Simmons. I think there's a real good chance they take the tackle. And I do think that Dave Gettleman will listen to phone calls.
3: Yes, I agree I, with that.
1: But I don't think he's going to get a deal that that makes enough sense for him to go.
3: Lance, if you were offered nine and 20 for number four, would you do it?
1: I would absolutely consider it.
0: And I would be very close to pulling the trigger. The only thing that would hold me back, John, is if I am so set on one guy at number four. But if I've got a few guys in the ballpark, I would take nine and 20. You talk about two top 20 picks to be able to address your defense potentially and your offense on a team that I would certainly make the argument
3: has various needs as opposed to one need. I think it's a logical move. Yeah, me too. But again, okay. I, honestly, I don't think and, and again, this, this is why we do this. so We can have these conversations, right? I don't think. The Jaguars would make that offer. Another thing that people keep, I don't know if this, this must have been a rumor somewhere because I got too many Twitter questions about it for it not to be. It must have been picked up from somewhere that a lot of people were thrown out the Raiders would trade 12 and 19 to move up to number four. And that's another thing where I just don't see. These teams moving up for a player that's not a quarterback. I'm just not sure I see the value there. And I'm with you. First of all, I don't understand
0: why Jacksonville would go for a quarterback with Gardner Minshew right now. And I understand he wasn't a high pick, but he's a guy that they want to see succeed. And to your point with the Raiders, you've got Derek Carr and you just— acquired Marcus Mariota in a free agent signing. It's another team that I just... How does one player that's not a quarterback help you turn things around that quickly?
1: You know Why what, would you give up all those valuable assets? Yeah, Mike's, and, Mike Silver actually suggested last night that they may be trying to go up to get two at four. But I'm, I don't see it myself. Who, the Jaguars the, or the Raiders? Yes, the Jaguars. About? Because yeah, he didn't think they were necessarily sold on Minshew, and he thought they might be going up to try to get two Look... Hey, look, I wouldn't I, touch Tua with a 10-foot ball, hey, look, I would but at least, that's
3: me. I would at least understand the trade-up for Tua. Because if you believe in somebody to be a you know future Hall of Fame quarterback, we've talked about this last year, right? There's no price too big to pay for that. If that's your honest belief, you go up and you get him, and that's fine. Not with that injury history. That, that'd be foolish. Oh, okay, but I'm, I'm just telling you, if they believe that's who the guy is and you want to go and do it, that's fine. That makes a lot more sense than trading mm-hmm. up for a linebacker that, I mean— linebackers don't push from a PR perspective. They're not going to sell 20,000 season tickets because you draft a linebacker.
1: I don't see. I, you and I disagree on Simmons' value. I think he is far more valuable than you do, but that's okay. No, no, no. I'm not talking about
3: value, Paul. I'm talking about how he's seen from the outside. You think people buy tickets to see a coverage linebacker? I think <laughs> I,
1: Isaiah Simmons is not going to be a coverage linebacker. Isaiah Simmons is going to be a dominant pass rusher in this league when he is used properly, uh. as opposed to where they used him at Clemson, where they wasted snaps at cornerback and safety, which they should not have done. Uh, you know, he should not be playing free safety and he He's should not be playing 230
3: corner. 230 pounds. How is he going to be a dominant pass rusher? He'd be the first pass rusher in their history of the league that's 230 pounds.
1: D- Daniel Jeremiah, I had the
3: conversation with him
1: today and we talked about it. And he he feels, and I agree with him 100%, that if you use him as a money backer who is heavy on the blitz, he could be a dominant pass rusher. And that's what the Giants should do with him if they get him. Anyway. That's Miami's
3: at number five. Please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, you want to blitz him? I, I, I want to get into this. You, you want to blitz him just from the edge, or you want to blitz him from like the middle of the defense? Where do well, you, he, you want to send him? He them go from? he wants to. He, 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 could, he could easily stunt and come up
1: inside. He watched the tapes yeah, Paul, on him at Clemson. You, he came through A and B gaps. You he realize, did that too.
3: You understand, though, that he would be literally the first player in the history of the league that's a dominant pass rusher that plays that position that way.
1: He's a special talent. I know, but, you, but you're He was you're, misused you're to Clemson. A, they spread him outlier. too thin. They spread him too thin. They need to focus in on three positions instead of five, and he will be a
3: dominant impact player. Well, Fair enough. He's a lot on his plate anyway, though, yeah. still. Uh, absolutely. But anyway, look, Paul, I, I totally get your point. He's an unbelievable athlete. He's a great player, and he's certainly going to be a big-time impact guy. I totally get it. Good pick for Isaiah Simmons going to the Giants at four. All right, Dolphins at five, and this is interesting. Now the question for you guys that I have is this real quickly before I make the pick. All this stuff about the Dolphins preferring Herbert, is this a smoke screen so a team doesn't trade up in front of them because they don't think they have to and they really want Tua, or is this for real? What's your guys feel for that? <laughs> you know how I feel about Tua. I would
1: definitely go Herbert if I were them, but that's me. I am I'm not I'm not connected to the Dolphins to be able to tell you. But I look Two has got tremendous talent, but the injury history, when you're picking number five and you put that injury history on the table, you might as well go to Atlantic City and roll the dice.
0: (laughs) Well, there's certainly risk. I think it may be a bit of a smokescreen, but if I'm the Dolphins, I would want to throw out different directions of where my team's going because Miami wants to keep everybody guessing to perhaps prevent them from wasting a trade up in front of them. So I think you should buy and believe just about anything at this point. If you're a team behind Miami and if you feel good about multiple quarterbacks and there's no reason to be overly concerned. All
3: right. I'm going to believe that is not a smoke screen. I think the situation we have now where the dolphins cannot get their hands on to personally, and the medical staff cannot examine them, they will go with the player that they know more about, and that's healthier, and I think they're going to select Justin Herbert. That would be smart. And I think then the Chargers
0: are going to pull the trigger, and they're going to take Tua. There's risk involved, Paul. I agree with you, but I also think there's a number of individuals that see what he did on film... And they're not going to hesitate taking a guy who they also feel good about, at least in the Chargers perspective, they don't have to put him on the field at all in 2020. They got Tyrod Taylor. So you're investing long term. You have him learn from Tyrod. You keep him in the QB room. And you tell Tua, there is no rush. There's no urgency at all to put you on the field. Take your time with the rehab. Learn the offense. We'll maybe have the conversation with you in 2021. You so heard, I think actually he makes even
1: more sense. You heard Rick Saratella in. earlier in this program talk about even more injury issues with Tua than many people originally thought. Well, this is not about this year or next year. It's about is he going to be in one piece in four or five years? My hunch is not. Carolina at number seven. I'm taking Derek Brown. Short, sweet, and to the point. That's it. They they, they got to rebuild the defensive line.
3: Do you so, guys believe that Derrick Brown could be in the mix for the Giants? That's something that's kind of been popping around the internet recently.
1: Yeah, I've seen that. I don't necessarily know if I believe it, but he's a
0: really
3: good player. No, he's a really good player. I'm not sure he's ever going to be a dominant pass rusher, though.
1: Yeah, I kind
0: of agree with you there, John. Well, that's always been the question mark, especially if you look at his numbers in college. And remember, Dave Gunnelman's taken a lot of defensive linemen, in terms of his draft history when he was with Carolina. That doesn't mean it's going to apply here with respect to the Giants. I just, I look at the Giants' roster right now, and then even listening to what Gettleman said in his conference call, you know, talking about a Dalvin Tomlinson, and you think about Lawrence who came in. I just don't know, with all the guys currently on the roster, the young mix, that they feel the necessity to use the fourth overall pick on that position.
3: All right, the Carlos are number eight. They're feeling real good about this. And they're saying, we have our choice of any offensive tackle in this draft. That is a beautiful thing. And I know he's getting a lot of, he's big on the hype train, but I think they're going to take Tristan Worf's offensive tackle out of Iowa. They need all the help they can get on that offensive line.
0: It's been plagued by injuries, and even the guys they have at both tackle spots, they have injury histories too.
3: Ring, 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 Mr. Meadow. I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at pick number 14. And they're interested in your pick at number nine for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're willing to offer you in this trade the number nine pick, and we're willing to offer you, um, I mean the number, the 14, number fourteen pick, pick excuse me. Mean. And we're also going to send you pick number forty-five for that is uh, the pick in the third round, uh, in the second round for the Bucks. And I just want your ninth pick and your one hundred fifty-seventh pick, which is your third, fifth rounder. So you move down five spots. You get my second-round pick at 47, and you just send one of your three fives back my way. Hmm. And the Jacksonville Jaguars also have the 20th
0: overall pick, so we move down a few spots to 14. I was going to say I'm going back and forth with a variety of options. You know what? I'll pull the trigger on that trade,
3: and I'll move down to 14. I like it. Beautiful. Because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in desperate need of a left tackle to now protect their less-than-mobile elderly, for lack of a better term, starting quarterback uh, in Tom Brady. So they want to make sure that all these offensive tackles that they want are on the board when they pick. So they're going to move up, and the Bucs are going to select Jedrick Wills' offensive tackle out of Alabama.
1: Okay, which means the Browns at number ten have to take uh, Mike Bechtin. They need they need the offensive line help. They badly need a tackle, and uh, that seems to be a no brainer for me there. Boy, and these and,
3: offensive linemen are jumping off the board b- quick. And now. by the way, that's why the Bucks did it because they think the Browns could pick a tackle. And you know what the Jets are doing right now? Mm-hmm. They're taking Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle out of Georgia, the last one on the board.
1: And to no one's surprise, four of them are gone by pick twelve, which a lot of people seem to think
0: pick will eleven.
3: Last. Yeah, 11
1: exactly yeah
0: there you go so now comes the las vegas raiders and las vegas is saying to itself we need a star attraction at the skill position to help Derek carr at the quarterback spot and no wide receivers has been taken off the board so i think they are smiling gruden is going to be extremely
1: anxious to bring cd lamb into the mix cd lamb yeah that's a good pick there lance And you know what? I do believe that the uh, 49ers at number 12 also badly wanted a receiver, and they were going to be stuck between Judy and Lamb. You just made the decision easy. Now they've got to take Judy.
3: Not a surprise, and this is where I think the wide receiver run might happen. Lance, you're up. It's
0: interesting because when I was set to pick nine before John offered me that deal, I was going back and forth because Jacksonville, I think, could utilize a wide receiver. Jacksonville also, you can argue, could utilize a tackle, even though they have some young guys like Cam Robinson who they drafted recently. So now that they moved down, two wide receivers went on – the board, however, I still look at some other attractive options at the wide receiver spot, and I think they need to give Minshew as many targets as humanly possible. There's not a guy other than DJ Chark that really scares me with Jacksonville. So if I'm the Jaguars, I'm gonna pull the trigger the trigger here, and I think I'm gonna run up and grab Justin Jefferson out of LSU.
3: Oh, you're going Jefferson over Ruggs, huh? What you mm. thinking with that?
0: Well, I, I think with Ruggs, there's the speed element I still want to see the overall game with Ruggs. I see more of the overall game with Jefferson. That's my argument So, So
3: now that you see what was there at 14, are you happy with the deal that you made at 9?
0: Yeah, because I was thinking to take one of the top three wide receivers in my book with 9, and the fact that we gained some extra assets and only fell down and still got a wide receiver, I don't think that's a bad situation to be in. And now, Lance, you're up once again with the Broncos here. Now, Denver... You can also make the argument needs a wide receiver to complement Cortland Sutton and give Drew Locke another option. And this is where I think Henry Ruggs is the good complement to Sutton because now you're adding vertical speed and big playmaking ability. So, therefore, I see the Broncos taking Ruggs under that circumstance.
1: Ruggs to Denver. Okay. Well, you know, at number 16, the Atlanta Falcons really need a corner badly. And, you know, some people really think that C.J. Henderson is maybe, just maybe, in some people's eyes, even higher than Okuda. I haven't run into too many of them, but there are a few who do. So I think C.J. Henderson's going to the Falcons.
3: That's a good pick, and the Cowboys are cursing themselves because they wanted (laughs) C.J. Henderson to replace (laughs) Byron Jones. So now they're sitting there, they have an interesting dilemma. Um, They will listen to any phone calls if anyone behind them wants to call up. Anybody want to make a phone call here? No, no, no takers? Okay. (laughs) Uh, The choice is either Javon Kinlaw, who's probably the highest, greatest player left on the board. Uh, The Cowboys just signed Gerald McCoy this offseason. They signed Dontari Poe. Kinlaw's an excellent player. The other option is an edge rusher, which they need to replace Robert Quinn, another player that they lost in free agency. Uh, Four wide receivers are gone, so you throw that out. I think it's between Von Chason and... Javon Kinlaw, if you look at the Cowboys' draft history, they generally do not draft defensive tackles high. So I believe they would select in this situation Kay Levon Chason from LSU.
0: And that was somebody that I was eyeing for the Dolphins, who are coming up now at 18, because the Dolphins need help in terms of their pass rush when we take into consideration that earlier in the draft they took the quarterback. So now... How about some protection for the quarterback line? The protection is another angle that I was going at, too. There was a run on offensive linemen earlier, and there are still a few attractive options there. I like some of these pass rushers. I think, though, 18 may be high in terms of value. So instead, I think the Dolphins will grab Joshua
1: Jones out of Houston the tackle. Josh Jones. So five tackles in the first 18... Wow. And you know what? I don't think that's totally preposterous either. It would not shock me if it happens. Well, you know, Paul, John, we yeah. found out there's a lot of people think that Jones is going to be a top 20.
3: I will give yeah. you, I will tell you guys, and I'm, I'm not sure, it should be posted by now. It, it, it was getting uploaded as we recorded this. Um I did this long reporter's mock draft for the Giants huddle. You Can you guys check that out, by the way? Giants huddle podcast. It's on Giants.com. Giants mobile app. Find it on your favorite podcast platform. So I went through the process of basically getting a reporter on from every team from pick one to 36, mm-hmm. and they made picks, right? So I'll bring up the spreadsheet here, and I don't want to give away exactly what happened. Paul Schwartz picked for the Giants, by the way. I wanted to get a, a non-affiliated party to do that. Right. And in this scenario, Paul, Seven offensive tackles went in the first round, Mm -hmm. and two centers went in the first round. Wow. So it's nine offensive linemen in the first 32 picks.
1: Holy smokes. Yeah, the seven doesn't shock me as much as the two centers in the first round. You figure Ruiz will, but but I didn't think that any other center would necessarily go there. The seven offensive tackles has been getting a lot of run over the course of the last
3: week. And by, just, that does not shock me. And by the way, the seven uh, are the four top ones, obviously. Josh yeah. Jones, Austin Jackson was actually the fifth one, mm-hmm. and he USC. went to this spot, lands to Miami at 18. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, do you know what our reporter did? Armando Salguero, who does a great job down there for ESPN, he doubled up because they drafted Tua in the reporter's mock draft and he goes, well, he's injury prone, I gotta protect him. So he picked um, another offensive tackle Um, where is it? No Uh, yeah, he picked Austin Jackson at 18 and then at 26 he picks Josh Jones So he got both Jackson and Jones there in that first round to protect Tua. So I thought that was interesting. Well, remember, they acquired Julian Davenport
0: from the Texans, Mm -hmm. and Davenport is not locked up long term. So there's no guarantee he's
1: going to be with the team beyond this season.
3: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Paul, you're up here with the Raiders at number 19.
1: Yeah, well, I certainly think if they had their preference, they would love to have one of those blue-chip wide receivers, but that's not going to happen right now because I think the guys that they really viewed as separated from the rest are gone. They also badly need a corner, and this may be a tad high, but I think that, that Gladney is certainly a fit for them. So that's where I'm going to go. Jeff Gladney out of TCU. Think, a little high, but I could see a desperate need.
3: I think that's a good pick, and I think corner is certainly a, a need for the Raiders. And then the Jaguars at 20. They already got an extra pick. And look, the Jaguars, to me, are in the in the beginning parts of a very long rebuild, right? So they're trying to figure out what's next, and I think they're in a position where need isn't as important as value. Though this is a need, too, because they did lose Calais Campbell. So I think they're going to take Javon Kinlaw here defensive lineman, mm-hmm. a very good value at number 20. That's an easy one for me. Yeah,
0: I agree. So then comes the Philadelphia Eagles, and we were talking with Rick Saratella earlier, and he mentioned that Philly may be looking to move up to grab a star wide receiver because we know that they can use some playmakers, and I would not blame them if they chose to do that. However, we all grab pretty much a number of the top wide receivers, but... Philadelphia also, I think, can use some help on the defensive end as well as the middle of the defensive spots. And that's why I think they'll grab Patrick Queen, the linebacker out of Ooh, LSU.
3: Ooh, going linebacker. Interesting. Well, he's actually a good
1: fit for them, though, you know. Oh, no, he's a really good player. Yeah. I, have, I have no yeah. problem with Patrick
3: Queen there. I think that's about right, right, about right where he's going to go.
1: Yeah, now, you know, the Vikings lost three corners in the offseason, so they would love to have had one of those top three corners, but it's not going to happen based on our draft.
3: Now, the bright side, you get to pick again for them in three picks.
1: Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, I also believe that they would desperately like to get their hands on a wide receiver. Now, even though the top three guys are probably gone or top four guys are gone off of their board, you know, I could see... I could see Mims possibly sneaking up here because he, he's a tall speedster who's got tremendous upside, and I think they want a big play guy there. Now, I think
3: it's a little high, but... I'm fine with this, Paul. I think it's a good pick. Yeah. I got I no mean, problem with it. That's that's how I'm feeling, John. I'm feeling Mims. Hey, look, to me, if you want a really a corner, there's going to be one of the guys in the next group that's going to be there at 25, right? Yeah. You figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree They really that. need a corner. I For, mean, in terms of the, the
1: next level down, I agree. So I'm
3: taking Mims there at 20. At 20 I like 21. it. It's a good pick. All right, the Patriots, what do they like to do, guys? They like to trade down. The Miami <laughs> Dolphins, I think, have, oh, boy, how many is it? 18 picks in this draft? 16? Yeah, Something like ridiculous. that. They got a lot. So the Dolphins have a real big need in the middle of their defense, and they're trying to build a culture there, and there is no better culture player in this draft than Kenneth Murray, linebacker from Oklahoma. So the Patriots and Dolphins are going to swap. I realize they're in the division and that is rare, but the Patriots like to accumulate picks and the Dolphins have excess draft capital to move up here. So the Dolphins are going to send uh, the Patriots their third round pick, um, number 70, and the Patriots going to send back number 125 back to Miami. So uh, it'll be a 54-pick move up for the Patriots. They also pick up pick 154 in that trade. The Dolphins move up three spots. They're afraid Kenneth Murray's going to go to the Saints at 24. They pick him up at 23 in a trade with the Patriots.
0: So you essentially traded with yourself, just for clarification. For ring,
3: ring, listeners. ring. Schmelk's calling himself. Because <laughs> <There you go. laughs> <laughs> he that didn't that ask anybody permission to no. make that
0: move. He was basically talking to himself. I was. so. I, and, 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 and let
3: me tell you, I think both teams think it's a great deal. Well, and keep in mind, even though they're in the division, remember, Brian Flores is the head coach, and he was right. previously with Belichick in New England. So, And, and I and I think it fits both teams' modus operandi in this draft, right? The Dolphins want to get cornerstone players. They have so much draft capital. The Patriots always trade back, so why not? Yeah, no, I'm with <laughs> you there. I,
0: I think that does make sense. So, then comes New Orleans, and... The Saints could go in a variety of different directions. Patrick Queen was somebody I would have considered here for them because they lost A.J. Klein. He went to the Buffalo Bills, and he was a guy that played linebacker for them. Wide receiver is another position I think New Orleans could look at because I think they're going to go very heavy to try to give Drew Brees as much as he can to try to win that Super Bowl and go out on a high note, even though they did bring in Emmanuel Sanders. But... I am going to throw out perhaps the biggest curveball in this draft. I don't think we spice things up enough in our Ooh, first edition. I like so it. So I think the Saints are going oh. to find Drew Brees' oh, successor, nice. and I think they're going to grab Jordan Love out of Utah State with the twenty-fourth overall
3: pick. Wow! By the way, I like this because, and I like it for Jordan Love. And look, I, I could see his career going a lot of different ways, but is there a better place to go and learn if you're him exactly. behind Drew Brees and under Sean Payton? I think Jordan Love, to hell with going as high as you can, if he could pick a place to go and play with their situation, if I'm Jordan Love, I'm picking the Saints. I think it's a great fit. And that was my thinking. Plus, also, you could probably sit for a short period of
0: time and it's going to pay off for you. Yeah, maybe two because years. Because Drew is not playing for that many more years. Remember, he just signed the deal with NBC Sports. You know he's got one foot out the door already. This is
1: true. This is true. All right, so I got the Vikings at 25, right? And and I've already taken a receiver. I desperately need to get a cornerback here, and I probably wouldn't mind picking up a defensive end, uh, you know, because I, I lost one of my veterans there. Uh, question becomes, do I see the value more or do I see the need more? I mean, the value says to me I probably wouldn't mind. I probably wouldn't mind taking uh, Epinesa. but at the same time, boy, do they desperately need cornerbacks. And Jalen Johnson is, is still kind of sticking out like a sore thumb. Mm,
3: Jalen Johnson, and you know, I think he kind of fits that Mike Zimmer mold. Yeah, he does,
1: John. And and you know what? The truth of the matter is, there are some people who do think this is the ballpark value for him. Oh yeah. So I, I'm going to go with Jalen
3: Johnson. I think that's a great pick. I think that's real good value here. Ah, oh boy, I was so excited about my trade. I didn't think about who the Patriots might pick you up. Uh, <laughs> I was all about excited about Kenneth Murray. I didn't think about what the Patriots were going to do. Doing all those mathematical yeah, exactly. equations,
0: and now all of a sudden you're on the clock. Hey, yeah, The but, Patriots are trading down again, John. It's okay. Hey,
3: during that Rick Salatello interview, I was basically looking up what draft picks all these teams had so I could navigate these trades. Luckily, I, I'm, I'm I'm done with that now. Okay. So the Patriots will take phone calls if anybody wants to move up. They always like to move down, but I'm guessing that no one's going to make that call here. Because I don't think that there's what I would consider a sore thumb player left at this point in the draft. And I also don't think the Patriots are in win now mode. I mean, who's a quarterback? I mean, it, it, it's Jared Stidham, right? So I think you're looking for a player that can help you long term. Last year, they selected a wide receiver in the first round. I don't think they go there again. They're not picking a running back. They have Sony Michel. They're already strong in the secondary. I don't think they draft a cornerback. They do need a pass rusher. I'm debating A.J. Epinesa here. I think that's, that's a possibility. That's what I took last Friday. I These know you did. Neighborhood <laughs> value is right there. And I'm considering, look, the Patriots have had a revolving door at offensive tackle, and they've been able to do it because Tom Brady is so smart and he gets rid of the ball quickly. But if you're going to develop a new quarterback, I mm-hmm. think you're going to need a very good offensive tackle there long term in order to fill that role. So I'm gonna go with Ezra Cleveland, wow. offensive tackle out of Boise State. Okay. Interesting. Well, there is some talk. He could sneak into the first round. Well, that is tackle number six. That is. <laughs> and and it was that or Epinesa, <laughs> but I don't know. Something just tells me the Patriots have not drafted. You know what? They have they have win, Isaiah win. But no, I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna go Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State.
0: Well, then I think Seattle is going to be very pleased because I think Seattle needs a pass rusher. I think that they want to continue to build up that defense, which has lost some personnel over the last few years. And I think there's a few options here, but I think actually Seattle will grab A.J. Epinesa here at the 27th
1: overall pick. Yeah, that, that's a good pick right there for them. And I think they're, they're pretty happy with that, too. Right Absolutely. There. Yeah, Ooh, I, I definitely agree with and that. And I
3: think there's a pass rusher that the Ravens might like you at 28, ball.
1: Yeah, Gross Matos is just sticking out like a sore thumb. And and to be honest with you, uh, I also think the Ravens could probably use a receiver too. But uh, you're not going to pass up Gross Matos for a receiver here. I just I just don't see that. That's a defensive-minded team. So Gross Matos has to go to Baltimore at 28.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good yeah, pick for them. Yeah, you got to. Looking at the Titans, they're a team that went on a bit of a run last year, and I think this is an interesting spot. I think they need help in the secondary. Logan Ryan has not re-signed with them. has uh, not signed with anybody yet, unless I missed something. I don't think I have. Uh, no. Safety could be an option here, so I think Xavier McKinney could maybe be someone they could consider here. As far as the cornerback class, you know, they're going to want someone that can play a little man-to-man outside. So I'm surprised he's still there. I think he's by far the best cornerback on the board. So I am going to select for the Tennessee Titans, A.J. Terrell, Mm -hmm. a cornerback out of Clemson.
1: I could tell that's where you were going.
0: Packers last year made a big splash in free agency. They brought in Zadarius and Preston Smith. That's part of the reason why We see the Giants have added a few linebackers because they felt that they had some depth at that position. I think this is the draft that now they say, let's give Aaron Rodgers another weapon down the field. And I think Green Bay is going to grab wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. Okay.
3: Big play guy, catch and run. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) That's, that's, That's a good pick for them. I think that they're pretty happy too. And we go to San Francisco at 31, and, you know, it seems to me that, their whole M.O. here in terms of being a contender is all about that defensive front. And Buckner's not there anymore. And so for some strange reason, TCU's Ross Blacklock is still sitting there and sticking out like a sore thumb he's a good for player. me. player. And he is a really good player. And I think he's going to be a better pro than he was in college. So that's where I'm going. Blacklock to San Francisco.
3: I think that's a good pick.
0: Especially for that strength of the Niners defensive
3: line. Yeah, strengthened it some more, no question about it. And you picked the receiver earlier, so why not? Uh, Kansas City Chiefs now, they only have five picks in this draft. They don't have a third-round pick. So this is a valuable pick to have because it's the last pick you're going to have a guy with a fifth-round option Mm -hmm. on. So especially if Jordan, a fifth-year option on, pardon me, if Jordan loves still sitting there at 32, this is a prime trade back position for someone that might want that fifth year on a quarterback. Yeah. Good point. So I think that's what you're looking for. If Jordan love is not off the board yet. And the chiefs would love to move back um, to make a move like that. But unfortunately um, that is not the situation in this particular draft. So they are not going to go that way. And when you take a look at, at some of the needs that the chiefs have um, offensive line interior, that was a weakness for them last year, cornerback linebacker, I'm gonna break Paul DeTino's start. They're gonna take Cesar Ruiz, center out of Michigan. Really? That's who
0: I grabbed, I believe, in last week's
3: Oh, did you really draft? Yeah. I didn't realize that. I'll actually
0: bring it up just to double check because I have it in front of me. Yeah, I have it here too. And I did take Ruiz huh? with that
3: 30 second pick. Look, for they, what it's
1: worth, John, I thought you were gonna take Zach Bourne.
3: I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about it, but I think they wanna help. Look, if there's one way you can get them a homes, it's up the middle, right? Yeah. You you can't get him on the perimeter because he's too quick. So you want to protect them in the middle, and I think they need a long-term center in front of them. That's why I went with Ruiz. And frankly, I think he's really good value here too.
1: Yeah, that's that's in the ballpark. Yep.
0: So then comes Cincinnati. And the Bengals drafted Jonah Williams last year in the first round. He missed the entire season with a torn pectoral muscle. He's going to come back. But the Bengals still need help on the offensive line. And if you're going to bring in Joe Burrow, you better make sure you protect him. So I think they're going to shore up another tackle spot. And I could see them going in a variety of different directions here, even though some of the big boys have already gone off the board. And I think they're going to go on perhaps gut feeling that maybe there's
1: upside and potential here. And they're going to take Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia. Big boy. Okay. So he's the seventh offensive tackle and somehow Austin Jackson has avoided a pick.
3: Will he get past Indianapolis?
1: How about that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't see how. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, they, you know, they got Philip Rivers, and he's not getting any younger. But they also
0: have a good offensive line right now.
3: Yeah, but uh, yeah, but no, they they, they, thing, they and they need have, a target for him too. Yeah, they have Anthony Costanzo at one tackle, and they have Braden yeah. Smith at the other. Quentin yeah. Nelson inside. You know what? Michael Pittman is still sitting out there. By the way, they could also use a pass rusher, too. Yeah. Zach Wan is an option here for them.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, John. I, oh, boy. This, they do have a lot of ways they can go here. But now, here's the thing. Phillip Rivers just got there, and they really can't afford to let him languish for a year or two. They need immediate production. And, and I think the best way to get that is to make sure that he's got somebody he really, really wants to throw to. I'm going to go Michael Pittman. I don't want to, but I will.
3: Okay. I think Michael Pittman's a good pick. Okay. you like him better than T. Higgins, Paul? Uh, I think so. I think so. They're close. They're very, in my eyes, they're very, very close.
1: I agree. I agree. But I've heard enough of people think that Pittman is has been moving up a lot lately on the boards, and people think he probably has a better chance of sneaking into the first round, so that's where I'm going to go.
3: The Lions are hoping that A.J. Epinesa was going to fall to them in this draft to give that additional pass rush that they need up front. They already got Jeffrey Okuda early on. Um, so with him off the board, look, I think the Lions still are in need of a pass rusher. And I think Zach Bond, though he can't do it every down, he can at least do it on third downs and mm-hmm. rush the passer off the edge. So I'm going to pick Zach Bond for the Detroit Lions.
1: That's a really good pick. They're happy to get him there, yeah, too. Yeah, I think they're thrilled to get him.
0: Absolutely. Well, that brings us to 36. This is a tough spot now, Lance. It's a very
1: tough spot. You don't pick Austin Jackson, I'm going to choke you out. <laughs> that, well,
3: I that, was that would thinking be the obvious one. here. That would be the obvious one. <laughs> and that was
0: one spot I was going towards. There was another player, though. I'm just wondering whether or not it's a little too high for him, even though I think he's going to go in the second round. And the other guy I was thinking about was Tyler Biotish center out of Wisconsin.
3: Lloyd Cushenberry is another guy, if you like him. The center That's out of Wisconsin. That's another
0: LSU. guy, too. But remember, Paul, you and I spoke to Derek Engler, former Giants center earlier this week. Yes. When we did the Wisconsin spot. And yes, he we did. said that Bianish has had conversations with the Giants. So
1: put as much stock as you want in that. And he obviously endorsed him. He knows him extremely well and thinks he would be a great fit for the Giants. And I understand that. So that's why I am. I sort of going I don't going think back it's a horrible pick, uh, but I'm still going to choke you out if you don't take Jackson. <laughs> well, I am not scared of you,
0: okay? Especially <laughs> since we're not even anywhere near the vicinity of
3: one another. <laughs> See, because here's the thing, Lance. The reason Paul's so vociferous here is that his whole plan is to get Simmons at four and then get a tackle at of of 36, Correct. so you can completely ruin his draft. He here. could. He could ruin it. i <laughs> totally course. ruin it for
0: me. And nothing gives me more joy than ruining Paul Titino's mood, yeah, which course. I did a lot last week, and I do think. Jackson is good value here, and probably maybe better value than Biotish, only because Jackson is still on the board. If he's not on the board, I would probably lean much more heavily towards Biotish over another player. I'll go with Austin Jackson out of USC to the Giants at 36.
1: That's good, Lance. Now I can let you live. <laughs> oh, that's good to know.
0: So, Paul, <laughs> would you be good with any of
3: those eight <laughs> offensive tackles at 36 that went off the board in this draft? Uh, yeah, you know, I probably
1: would. I'm a little bit skeptical about Cleveland because he's more of a technician and a finesse guy, and he doesn't have as much strength and muscle, and is not as much of a power player. And I'm a little bit more an old 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 school power player kind of guy. But but I think I could probably deal with Cleveland
3: and chew on him if he's the pick there. Yeah, I think Cleveland and Jackson both have to add strength. I think that's kind of what their issues are. If you want a big, then you you must want Isaiah Wilson. Then he's just he's a mountain.
1: Uh, I I would I would definitely have some thoughts about Wilson but I really want Josh Jones. That's the guy I really would like.
3: Well, that's great. If, if you know, I think yeah. we'd all like someone like that at pick 36. Yeah, exactly. I, I, think, it'd exactly. If, I think it'd be great if it'd be great if Patrick Green was there at 36 too, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. No, I know. I know. I'm very <laughs> much
1: aware of that, John.
3: Yeah, I know. Lance, anything else jump out at you in this draft that we just did? No, I just think that it's interesting.
0: This is the second go-around, and you know, some of us leaned on similar picks we made last week. Others went in different directions, but it just goes to show you the offensive line and I think the quarterback are the two positions that are really going to spice things up. You can argue wide receiver too, but there's a lot of depth at wide receiver, so I wouldn't be stunned if teams maybe a little bit more patient. I don't think they're going to be as patient with respect to the offensive line spot and you know somebody very well could make a move up to grab another quarterback that we're not even bringing up. That's the other thing that I think we have to take into consideration, which maybe is really good news for the Giants because then somebody else falls to them potentially
3: at 36. And I thought the interesting thing is that compared to our last draft, we didn't have nearly as many cornerbacks to go in this one. The last draft, I think we had another two quarterbacks go. In this draft, Trayvon Diggs is still on the board and Christian Fulton are still on the board. Both those players were gone, including all the guys that we also picked, I believe are all gone in our last draft. So only five corners are off the board by my count uh, through 36 picks. I think we had seven in the last draft. So we have a little bit of a change there, which I think is interesting.
1: And I think there's one thing that stuck out to me too, John, and that is in both of the drafts that we tried, uh, somehow, someway, Xavier McKinney did not
3: make it into the first round either time. And I do think he is a low first-round value. Yeah, you're right. And, um, yeah, and look, safeties and running backs are tough first-round cells. You have to be really, really special. Yeah. To convince teams to pick you in the first round, you know?
1: I, you know, I understand.
3: I
0: well, understand. which means I think also I wouldn't rule him out as an option at
1: 36-2 for the Giants. Yeah, we talked about that the yeah. other day. I, I it, He would definitely merit consideration. If you're going to talk best player available – uh, he would be a guy in that
3: uh, in that chat at 36. Would you guys consider Trayvon Diggs or Christian Fulton? I think they're good value here. I Boy. think
0: that you have to ask yourself if you're the Giants, do you envision them in the slot?
3: Yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure you do. And that's that's
0: the question. If the answer is no, like you said, John, then I think that offsets the value.
3: Yeah, I think you'd almost trust McKinney in the slot a little bit more, right? Because he did that at Alabama. Now I don't know how good he was at it, but he did that at Alabama more than the other guys did who were pretty much all outside cornerbacks.
1: I'll give you one other thing to throw into
3: that pot, John.
1: Nobody that I know of during the offseason, at least not in any recent memory, has asked David Gettleman or Coach Joe Judge about Jabril Peppers.
3: Yeah, that's true. Coming off, I mean, he just had, what, the uh, transverse process, right? Isn't Correct. that what he had as a frag? Usually that heals pretty well. Bones in his back, yeah. Even yeah. if he's okay now, do you worry about his
1: durability moving forward?
3: Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's fair. And, of course, T. Higgins is an option here, too, Lance. You could have went with the big wide receiver. Of, of course, and if that was to. another
0: position that I was debating, too. I just think, once again, the value of Austin Jackson at that point, was probably too good to pass up.
3: Well, value and need. You put them yeah, together. Yeah, value
0: and need. Of course, the combination of both. Yeah, no doubt about it. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap up our second edition of the mock draft. We'll have our third and final edition next week, so stay tuned for that. Next and we Wednesday. are actually yep. now entering draft week. So next week, we will begin the official buildup. Down the stretch we go. Into Thursday's festivity. So stay tuned. We'll have a show each and every day. And we're going to have a number of shows. Where we'll have three of us all on one program. So definitely look forward to that. And we want to thank John Schmuck for taking part in our mock draft. We want to thank Rick Serratella for weighing in earlier from NFL Draft Bible. And for all the latest, obviously, stay locked to Giants.com throughout the course of the weekend. For Paul Datino, John Schmelk, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Enjoy the weekend. We'll speak to you on Monday with a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.